Thank you for checking out this episode of Cafe Manga. If you enjoy the show, please sign up to the newsletter for more content not included in the show. You can sign up at cafemanga.substack.com or see the link in the episode description. to another episode of Cafe Manga. This time I am continuing with my mini series on Dr. Stone. So if you didn't check out the previous episode, which was the first episode of this series, please do. And also, just in case you didn't listen to the previous episode, this is just a bit of a warning that... There's going to be some spoilers for anybody who either hasn't read the manga or watched the anime series. If you didn't watch or read Dr. Stone, please go to the previous episode where the first roughly 10 to 15 minutes of the episode, I did a spoiler-free general review of the series in case you are on the fence about whether or not you want to check out Dr. Stone. But this episode and the next two episodes, there's going to be a lot of spoiling of stuff that happens in the series. So again, this is your one and only warning, okay, before I get into the episode. So with that said, as a continuation of the previous episode where I talked about season one, like the title says... In this episode, I'm going to be discussing season two. So one thing that I forgot to mention that even though I am calling these episodes Dr. Stone season one, two, etc., I forgot to mention a little bit about the manga to the extent that basically season one covered volumes one to seven of the manga. There's a chapter in Volume 7 that gets covered in the first episode of Season 2, which I'm going to get into right now. But otherwise, basically, Season 2 consists of mostly Volume 8 to Volume 10 of the manga, and then part of Volume 10 and a little bit of Volume 11 is covered in the Ryusui special movie, which I'm also going to discuss in this episode as well. Now, again, presumably, if you're listening to this episode, you have either watched season two and the Ryusui movie, or if you are a manga reader, you probably read the manga volumes that I just mentioned, a little bit of volume seven all the way to a little bit of volume 11. Okay, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time rehashing what happens. But for those of you who are familiar, you know that season two, the basic arc is the actual lead up to the confrontation between the Kingdom of Science and the Sukasa Empire. And of course, the season ends with eventually Senku 
and his allies outsmarting Sukasa's team by not only taking control of the bat cave where the nitric acid was naturally being produced, but also Senku was able to recreate nitroglycerin and force Sukasa's side to stand down because now they have an even more dangerous weapon than gunpowder. And Senku indicated that there is a very strong possibility that whatever was causing his sister's illness, that the revival fluid and the petrification process would actually cure Mirai of whatever her condition was, which they do. And she wakes up completely healthy and a normal little girl. And of course, the season ends with a shocking betrayal of sorts where Hyoga, who was actually Sukasa's lieutenant in the Sukasa Empire, ends up attacking Mirai and Sukasa shoves her out of the way and saves her and he is fatally stabbed. And of course, Hyoga does get tied up and temporarily imprisoned. And the only way that they can try to save Sukasa in a world where anything remotely related to medicine is extremely primitive, and of course surgery is basically non-existent, the only solution to try to save Sukasa is to basically do a very primitive form of cryogenics. So they freeze Sukasa, and Senku has to try to figure out: is there a way to recreate? the petrification, which of course is also related to figuring out the mystery of like how the whole petrification thing even happened in the first place. And then of course the Ryusui movie basically leads up to an introduction of a new character, of course Ryusui, who turns out to be a very ambitious rich kid who also is actually a very experienced ship captain. And as we later find out down the road, he does have some additional skills and knowledge and something else that I'm not going to mention here because it comes up in the upcoming season four. We'll just say that. And the Ryusui movie, basically, we have them reinventing hemp cloth and also they manage to reinvent hot air balloons which is actually surprisingly more handy than you think it is. That's the very short, very rough recap of season two and the Ryusui movie. So going along the same lines as what I did in the previous episode, I'm going to fill out the rest of this episode with some special mentions of a sort regarding some characters that either got introduced in season two and the Ryusui movie, and also a handful of characters that I didn't discuss in the previous episode. I'll talk about them a little bit more here. So one notable character that I didn't include in the previous episode is actually Suika. Suika is one of the only children in the story that actually gets any real significant screen time, as it were. Aside from Kohaku and Chrome, Suika is also somebody who winds up heavily involved in the early stages of Senku's alliance building with people in the village. And she's a very delightful little kid who, like a lot of kids, is very curious about the world. And she wants to be helpful. She wants to try to help out and 
participate in things more. And as we discovered in season one, she has quote unquote fuzzy sickness, which as somebody who also has quote unquote fuzzy sickness, I agree is very inconvenient, and very annoying. Being nearsighted is not the worst thing in the world, but it's something that seriously disadvantages you in a world where being able to see things is extremely important. And as you would imagine in a world that's devolved back into stone age type technology, not being able to have prescription lenses to help you see things further away than six inches from your face is a very difficult thing to deal with. But fortunately, Senku, with some assistance from Chrome, actually is able to produce eyeglasses for Suika to not only make the quality of her life a whole lot better, but also she can really help out a lot more with some of the general labor involved in doing things that Senku needs to get done. Also, another really important character that we get introduced to in season two, more or less, is Ukio who was a sonar operator, and he has crazy amazing hearing, and he's a pretty good archer as well, so his vision is pretty sharp. Not as sharp as Kohaku's, but pretty good. And of course, as we know, he's extremely intelligent as well as having the super amazing hearing. He does help Senku a whole lot as the story progresses, which we all know. Kinro and Ginro. These two brothers, they're complete opposites of each other. It's almost hard to believe like they're even related to each other because they're so completely opposite of each other. Keen Rowe is the super serious but very hardworking, pretty strong and very reliable guy you can count on to get things done. And you can definitely count on him to do whatever you ask of him and he will do it. He will find a way to make it happen. His brother, Ginro, on the other hand, is like the complete opposite. He is a coward. He can be pretty lazy. You got to strong arm him to get him to do anything. But I will say that one good quality with Ginro is that he does actually care a lot about other people. It's just that you cannot necessarily count on him to help you when there's a dangerous situation happening. He is like one of the last people you would think of to help you. You imagine that Suika, who is about 10 or so at the beginning of the story when we first meet her, that this 9, 10-year-old child is a lot more reliable and smart and useful when you compare her to Ginro, like she's like a thousand percent more reliable than him, which is not a good sign for anybody. Don't get me wrong. He has his moments. OK, but yeah. And I will mention a couple of other characters who do have pretty good amount of screen time, especially in season three and the upcoming season four. One character is Nikki, who is very physically athletic, strong. And she's also extremely reliable because, again, she's another person where you ask of her something. If she is capable of doing it and able to do it, she is going to do it for you. And what's also a really funny recurring gag, of course, is that whenever troublemakers amongst the group are acting up, you can count on her to handle the discipline 
and keep them in line. Okay. So she's definitely the type of character who would make a really good lieutenant for you when you want to focus on the big picture planning of what we got to do next. You can count on someone like Nikki to help you keep the troops in line. And then another character I'll mention here is Yo, who was a former police officer. A little bit of his flashbacks, you realize he was a pretty bad police officer, unnecessarily violent, and also he's pretty self-centered. He is not too much different from Ginro, except that he's a little bit braver. When you need muscle, he is much more reliable than Ginro, but otherwise he's basically the 21st century version of Ginro. That's like how much of a troublemaker and difficult he can be. One other character who I think actually I will mention here next is Rory. And Rory, who we found out in the first season, she is the keeper of tales. She is one among a long line of village priestesses whose job is to memorize all these different stories that Senku's father invented to pass down knowledge that people from the 21st century would have known. It's his attempt to save knowledge and culture from the old world to future generations who otherwise would know absolutely nothing. And you know what? It's an amazing foresight on Byakuya's part because when you realize what limited knowledge the people of Ishigami Village have, you realize that aside from their own firsthand experiences and them educating each other about each other's knowledge and experiences, the stories that Rory and other people like Rory had to memorize over the centuries, those stories are what gave these people some of their knowledge. And it really is a lot of surprising forethought, okay? And it's surprising in the sense that Senku, the way he talks about his dad, he feels like his father is in a way opposites of him, where he's not as logical and serious he is a little bit more laid back, and it's not to say he's not intelligent. He is intelligent, but he isn't quite like the super serious genius type that Senku is. It was almost hard for Senku to believe, but then thinking about it further, it actually made a lot of sense to him that Byakuya would be the one to think of creating a record made from glass, and that he would be the one to invent a hundred folktale type stories in order to pass down information and knowledge that would otherwise be lost over time. And I have to say one other interesting thing that I didn't mention in the previous episode because it was going to get long. I just thought it was really interesting how we did get some flashbacks into what happened with the International Space Station crew after the petrification happened. You do get brief glimpses of what they did and how they survived afterwards and how they started their families, etc. And it's just amazing to think about 3,700 years later, a lot of the characters you meet on the show who are not people that were revived 
from the petrification. All those people are descendants from six people. They somehow made future generations of people that still survived after all that time. They're not a huge population, but they are a decent-sized population that they can form a village and that they can get together and that Senku can interact with them and have people he can work with to try to save humanity from the brink. I will end it with one final character, and of course that is Ryusui Nanami. And of course, he is a spoiled rich kid who is one of the members of the Nanami conglomerate. And he is quite the character. He is pretty arrogant, but at the same time, you recognize that his arrogance is actually justified because he's pretty knowledgeable and talented and amazing at his particular skill sets. He is very good and knowledgeable to a certain degree of science because he has a huge passion for sailing. He wanted to be a ship captain, which means that he also does have some scientific knowledge of things like weather. Obviously, if you're going to be a captain on a ship, you need to have some understanding of how weather works, okay? And he does know a bit about ocean currents, wind, which, of course, is a very big reason why, as the story continues, just like with Ukio, he becomes a very valuable, important partner to Senku on their ultimate plan of reviving everybody possible around the world. But yeah, so I'm going to end this episode here. And next time I'm going to be covering season three. And then after that, I'm going to do the final episode of this series, which is going to be super ultra spoilerific for anyone who has not read the manga. Because again, like I mentioned in the previous episode, season three only ended in this past December. So it's going to be at least a year before we get season four. Stay tuned and see you next time. Did you enjoy this episode? Share this episode with a friend to get notified when the next episode drops along with extra content not in the show. Sign up to the newsletter. Go to cafemanga.substack.com or check the link in the episode description.